This episode of Market Foolery is brought to you by Tommy John. Tommy John makes underwear that keeps everything in place, whichever way a man moves. For 20% off your first purchase, go to tommyjohn.com slash fool and use the promo code fool. That's tommyjohn.com slash fool and use the promo code fool. It's Monday, October 10th. Welcome to Market Foolery. I'm Chris Hill. Joining me in studio today from Million Dollar Portfolio, Jason Moser, and from Stock Advisor Canada, Taylor Muckerman. Good to see you, gents. Hey, Happy hey. Thanksgiving. It's, it, wait, wait, yes, wait, 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 wait. yes, Canadian, Canadian Thanksgiving. Thanksgiving today. Ah, that's right. There <laughs> to you our go. friends up north. That's okay. it. Happy Thanksgiving. I was going to say it's it's a little. Today is the first day that feels legitimately like fall. Oh, absolutely. You go yeah. out this you go out this morning. It's a little little brisk. A little chill. Hurricane Matthew sucked the last bit of summer right out of the environment. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Alcoa reports tomorrow. Which means that earnings season officially kicks off this week. So we're going to do a bit of an earnings preview. We're also going to dip into the full mailbag, and I have a couple of things to share from our event up in Boston last week. But let's start with earnings season. Jason, I'll start with you. Every company wants to put up good numbers, mm-hmm. but some companies need it worse than others. Sure. So when you look out over the public markets. What's a company that you look at and you think, man, they really need a hit? I, I, I would, the, when we talked about this, the first company that came to mind for me was Buffalo Wild Wings. And um, I recently removed it from our watch list in MDP. It had been there for uh, close to a year, I guess. And 2016 has not been a very good year for Buffalo Wild Wings. And unfortunately, there hasn't been um, an E. coli crisis really to point out. I mean, it's been just, Weak numbers all the way around because it's just been generally weak. Um, perhaps wings don't hold the same place in people's hearts that they once did. How dare you! I gotta, <laughs> I gotta believe cold beer is a bit more resilient. But uh, you know they've been calling for for tough comps all year long. They've guided down earnings pretty much every quarter this entire year. And they're calling for really no made no real turnaround until the beginning of next year. And so that that's one concern right there. Another thing that kind of concerns me is that they are relying more and more on uh, sorts of of promotions like like half price wing Tuesday and whatnot to drive more traffic. We've seen that stores have generally been having a bit more trouble driving traffic lately. And I can't help but wonder if as time goes on, as we become a more mobile society, does Buffalo Wild Wings have the same sort of sway over the younger consumer uh, that that perhaps it used to? I, I don't know that it necessarily does. I think there are more ways to consume sports content now than ever before. Uh, it, it's certainly an attractive proposition, maybe to have some food and cold beer at home in the safety of your home watching a game. So, I, all in all, I mean, I feel like there's some forces at play here that may challenge Buffalo Wild Wings here in the coming quarters. And it doesn't look like they're necessarily going to be able to overcome them easily. I'm not. I'm not certain they'll be able to overcome them by the end of this year. It's a good business. We've been very, very uh, fond of management there. But again, I'm not sure this is the kind of, of business that you want to just buy and hold. I think it's one where you have to really kind of pay attention quarter in and quarter out as to how the traffic is going because I don't necessarily know the, the growth uh, is there that maybe we we once hoped was. Taylor, what about you? Um, High Crush Partners, HCLP, um, provider of Fraxan to the energy industry. Um, it's up over 200%. What is it called? High Crush, H-I-Crush Energy Partners. Okay. Um, 
And uh, you're looking at this company providing frac sand to the the unconventional drillers here in the United States. M- many of their mines are in Wisconsin, so they use trains to distribute it to the Bakken, the Permian, Eagle Ford, all, all over the country, really. Um, but those are the three main basins. And stock's up 200% year-to-date, but it's still down 60% since that fateful day in November of 2014 when OPEC uh, abandoned caps of production. So I think that they need a, a solid quarter here to justify that 200% increase. Um, you see a lot of analysts coming out talking about more rigs coming online, more wells per rig, more sand per well. Um, so you're looking at this company um, being one of the low-cost providers of sand. So I think that they need a, a solid quarter here to kind of justify that 200% rise that you've seen. And if not, um, it's been a volatile trading, so maybe it sells off and provides a decent buy-in point. Because if you want a, a niche play in unconventional energy, this is a great pick to look at, and it's clearly worked out for a few investors. If you, I mean, I get that it's down sixty percent from yeah, that point. Yeah, but if you in time, bought in January, you bought in January. Yeah. Boy, are you happy? Well, and Carbo Ceramics is a yep. similar business, right? And it's witnessed a lot of that similar volatility. Mm-hmm. Um, they, they, I guess, have sort of a their their claim to fame is the ceramic propant. Yeah, they can customize um, it to different wells based on yeah, what the, the client is desiring. A bit more conductive, yep. they say, but yeah, that's it's a very volatile, uh, like mm-hmm. you said, niche segment of the energy yep. business. Let's move on to the company or industry. You can go broad if you want. That you're the most curious about. That you just you've got that date when they're reporting circled on your calendar, and you think I cannot wait to see. And it can be to the upside or to the downside. The one that you're most curious about, Jason. So I, I don't. I'm going to refer to just to a market, not a particular, uh, particular company. But last week we saw Walmart declare that they're going to be investing uh, two billion dollars into their e-commerce operations over the coming two years, which is not chump change, right? I mean, that's rather significant. That's a lot of zeros. <laughs> and you know, we we talked a lot about Walmart here over over the years. The challenges that they face in general retail. Were they too late to the game in investing in e-commerce? Um, it, it can they really gain any market share on Amazon? And it's not just Walmart, right? It's Target. It's virtually any retailer out there that built their business on physical retail. I think the headwinds there, the challenges there are obvious. But I, I found the the difference here in the numbers to be just fascinating. I mean, Walmart's going to invest two billion dollars in the next two years. Amazon's capital expenditures over the past five years has been $18.5 billion. Now, over those last five years, everybody's been ripping Amazon and Jeff Bezos for investing in the business and not realizing its true profitability. It's starting to look like they kind of knew what they were doing, right? It seems like it kind of makes sense. And when you look at what the market's telling us, I mean, certainly the market as a forward looking mechanism is not all that. Excited about what Walmart's going to be able to bring to the table. Sure, they're investing two billion dollars in e-commerce, and that's good. That's the right thing. They need to do that. That and this is the... this is over and above the acquisition of Jet. Yes, yes. And so you're looking essentially at management sort of waking up, realizing, hey, man, this e-commerce thing <laughs> is actually real. It matters, and this is where the biggest opportunity lies. I'm not saying they can't capitalize on it. I'm saying that they uh, are late to the game. It's better late than never. But again, I think when you look at their guidance here of the coming two years, earnings earnings over the next two years are, are going to be very lackluster, and and it's going to be because of this investment into e-commerce. So where the market has been very uh, upfront about giving Amazon sort of the credit for that investment, I don't know that it's going to give Walmart the credit for that investment at all. Walmart's going to have to make this investment and then 
uh, show us the money, so to speak. So when you look at Walmart from an investment perspective, I don't know there's any catalyst really here in at least the short run, the next one, two, three years that would make an investor say, wow, I got to put my money in that when you've already got clear winners out there that have been investing in this market for years now. And you think back over the last few years, whether it's retail or restaurants or or any number of industries, you can find examples of a company saying, well, we're going to invest in X. And typically, it takes about a year, if they do it successfully, it takes about a year before the results start to show up. It's not the sort of thing that's going to show up one, two quarters down the line. It really does take about a year before it starts to bear fruit. And even then, you won't win over all the skeptics. I mean, just thinking about Panera. Think about Panera 2.0 and how long it really took. I mean, that took almost two full years before there started to be a consensus of, oh, this is actually working. Yeah, I think that's a great point there. And it ties directly to how we invest, too, right? I mean, when we invest, when we make our case, we're making a case based on what we see as the next three to five year sort of picture. And so it's not reasonable to expect everything to just turn within within the matter of a year. Um, and when you're talking about a really big company like Walmart, I mean, the bigger the company, the more the pieces, uh, the more difficult it is to actually implement. And so, I mean, for something like Walmart, it's the right thing to do. It's going to take some time for this to really bear fruit, if it's going to bear much fruit at all. And, and so, absolutely, to your point there, we invest the same way. And that, I think, is is the benefit to investing in, in those three to five year sort of time horizons is you get a chance to sort of look at it more from the business perspective. And, and you can focus less on the noise out there that is everyday headlines and, and just pay attention to the business. Check it out every quarter. If it's, if it's if it's realizing tangible results, then at least you have that. Taylor, what are you looking for? I'm going to go back to Jason's first topic, uh, restaurant industry. Uh, you saw a couple analysts come out in July talking about, one, saying that there's two years of sales pain out there, a uh, possible recession in the restaurant industry, and then a Jeffries analyst, not quite as bearish, but calling a top in the restaurants. And you did see some pretty big names miss second quarter estimates. So I'm looking to see uh, no company in particular. I'm hoping that there are a few out there that deliver uh, strong results, but uh, the, see how the industry responds only a quarter after being called out. Yeah, it is. It is going to be one of those things because it's not. I don't know. I I I think that uh, I'm not looking to pick sides here, but I'm. But I, you're going to pick a side. <laughs> <laughs> But I find myself very curious about the yeah. the restaurant group. We have a lot of recommendations in that sector throughout the Foolish Universe, so it's definitely something to keep an eye on. I mean, it's interesting to your point about the Panera thing. Like, if I look at like Panera and Buffalo Wild Wings, to me, are two very good sorts of uh, businesses to pay attention to here. Because on the one side, you have Buffalo Wild Wings witnessing a lot of a lot of headwinds, and I mean that is sort of your traditional go in, sit down, eat. And I think those restaurants are are more at risk than than some of the others. Um, But you look at Panera on the other hand, and I was putting this together the other day, looking at going back to the first quarter of 2012 up to now, and you could see sort of this this trend here, the comps line in 2012. It looks like it basically just started falling off of a cliff. 
and it reaches this nadir in like something like 2014, maybe right around the second quarter of 2014, just after Shake calls out the mosh pit syndrome, decides to introduce Panera 2.0. And if you have any questions about whether Panera 2.0 is working, uh, I, I I tweeted out this this chart last week. Go check it out because it's pretty amazing to see. Ever since Panera 2.0 came out, the comps on a on a nice lineup. Sales on a nice lineup, it does seem to be working, and so that's how you can uh, you can pay attention to those strategies and see if they're working over periods of time. It's really it's really the trend tells you everything. And 2.0 is the online pre-ordering, the, yeah, the it, kiosks it just, that you can order it was by all yourself. Of that, yeah, yeah, yeah okay. it was all of that, yep. and, and I think that uh, they really tapped into the way consumers yeah, want absolutely. to eat today. You know, you don't want to deal with the hullabaloo, mm-hmm. as it were. I mean, you just want to go in and get your food and. Go elsewhere. Yeah. <laughs> well, and that's the thing. Can can Buffalo Wild Wings or or any other traditional fast casual restaurant that the bull case relies at least in some small part on come and spend some time here? Can a Buffalo Wild Wings take a page out of Panera's playbook and say, okay, we're also going to create an option for people who want to place an order online, walk in the door, pick up their food, and walk out. Now, they can do that, but, correct me if I'm wrong, but part of the premise for Buffalo Wild Wings is the ticket price. People are going to come and spend three hours watching a ball game, and they're going to have a few beers. High-margin beers. High-margin beers. Mm-hmm. And they're going to have someone else drive home because we want to get home safely, mm-hmm. or, or Uber. call I mean, an Uber, yeah, or, or, or get a cab, or whatever. Yeah. Um, but Buffalo Wild Wings can increase the traffic, the foot traffic, but the ticket price isn't going to be going up. You're because spot on there. I mean, I, I'm glad you said that because that's exactly the concern: is they're doing things on the mobile front, they're doing more takeout and stuff like that, they're doing these quick lunch offers. But the problem is. One of the big cornerstones of that investment is the actual experience. They're building those restaurants out for people to go stay there. And so, if you're sinking all of that money into 60 TVs and technology at the tabletops, and and, and you're you're sort of building this experience where people can stay for a while and enjoy themselves, I, I think that faces a, a bit of a challenge here in the coming years because I don't know that people are necessarily looking to go spend that same amount of of time in restaurants like that that they perhaps once were. Before we dip into the full mailbag, I want to give a shout out to our friends at Tommy John, the revolution in men's underwear that focuses on fit, fabric, and function. Shirts that stay tucked, socks that stay up, and underwear that keeps everything in place, whichever way a man moves. Uh, Tommy John stuff is incredibly comfortable. It comes in a wide selection of styles, options, and colors. I was uh, at our event in Boston last week. I was wearing uh, a bunch of Tommy John stuff. It's incredibly comfortable. Uh, I could be wrong, but I think a lot of guys are like me that when it comes to underwear and undershirts and socks, my mindset is essentially that's fine. Like it's just you know it's like whatever's fine, whatever is the bare minimum. Um, but then you actually wear something that's comfortable and lightweight, and it's a total game changer. And I have to say, I, I, one of my little pet peeves about clothing is dress socks. That sag down around your ankles. Oh, sure. It's just annoying to me, and that's why it's a pet peeve. <laughs> um, Tommy John socks have something called Invisigrip technology, and the, you know whoever came up with that name, kudos to you. But the point is that um, the socks don't sag, and I was on my feet all day. They never sagged. They could not have been more comfortable. And Tommy John provides a best pair guarantee. So if their underwear is not the best you've ever worn, 
It's on Tommy John. And as a special offer to our dozens of listeners, you can get 20% off your first order by going to tommyjohn.com fool and using the promo code fool, plus free shipping in the U.S. for any order over $50. So, go to tommyjohn.com fool and use the promo code fool. Our email address is marketfoolery at fool.com from Dan Schmidt in Korea. He writes, I'm looking at my portfolio of about 25 stocks and looking to shape some things up. I just love the way he phrased that. <laughs> like he's going to have a good talking to to some of his companies. Like, wake up. Uh, to that end, I have some that I'm looking to get rid of and I want to do some deeper research into some of these positions. My question is, where should I start my research? Would you recommend I delve deeper into those companies I'm looking to get rid of to make a more informed selling decision or should I delve deeper into the positions I want to hold that I understand the core businesses of my so that I understand the core businesses of my portfolio better. I'm sure the standard answer is I should understand everything in my portfolio well, and that companies should not enter my portfolio without understanding them well to begin with. But here I am. I still stink at knowing when to pull the trigger on a sell. Don't worry, Dan. A lot of us stink at knowing when to pull the trigger on a sell. Um, I like this question. I don't know that we've gotten this type of thing before. Um, Before I turn it over to you, Jason, I mean, off the top of my head, my hunch is, if he's got 25 stocks in his portfolio, he's got three or four that are probably at the probably at the top of his consideration to sell. I yeah, I would think so. I mean, that's a nice that's a nice sort of diverse portfolio there, and and anywhere between 25, 35, even 40 stocks. I mean, you're you're getting yourself in a position where you're not going to have all of your eggs in one basket, and you're going to feel pretty good. Um, about that diversity, I mean, and, and, and yes, you always want to know what is in your portfolio and and make sure you understand what you own. I think, you know, when you're talking about selling, I mean, that's the thing. Selling is one of those sort of philosophical debates that we could sit here and kick around for the next hour because you can sell and a year later look like a genius, and you can sell and a year later look like God. I can't believe I did that. What an idiot. Um, which is why when I whenever I have companies that I really really like and, and even if it's a valuation thing, I'll even hold on to a core position of a business just so that I can make sure I keep a little piece of it and that way I can participate uh, in in future upside. But when it comes to businesses that you know you're kind of targeting them and you, and you don't really think they they merit a position in your portfolio at this point, I mean there are a lot of places you can start. I think ultimately if you just go to Google and Google the company's name and then investor relations, you can go to those. Companies' investor relations sites and find a lot of information right there. I mean, the companies provide a lot of that stuff already. And then you can take it another step going to Edgar to search for any SEC filings and finding more um, information there. But, but when you're considering selling, I mean, you want to sell, it could be for any number of reasons. Um, if you feel like the thesis is busted, if the reason why you invested in that business to begin with doesn't exist anymore, or if it's changed materially, then you want to have that at the top of your list as far as a, po- a possible sell. Um, maybe you need the money. If you need the money, that puts you in the boat of kind of being a desperate seller, and that's never really a good position in which to be. So that's why we always try to to recommend to people don't get stuck in the position of having to be a desperate seller ever, and then you won't have to worry about that. Um, or if you feel like there's a better opportunity for that money elsewhere, if you feel like it's dead money and it's probably not going to do a whole heck of a lot, and you'd rather put that money somewhere else, and I mean, I'll I'll go to an easy example here. I'm not saying this is dead money, but you could at least make the argument, perhaps, that investment in Walmart right now may not 
be slated for robust gains in the coming years because of what we know. So maybe you say, all right, that's money that's probably just going to sit there and not do a whole heck of a lot over the next few years. Maybe there's a place where I can put that money um, to better use. Any which way you cut it, I mean, those are the questions that you have to kind of answer for yourself. Everybody's situation is a bit unique, but I think making sure that you go back to the original reason why you invested in that business to begin with. If you can identify that reason and that reason is still intact, then then maybe you feel good about kind of hanging on to that business. But with 25 companies, I bet you there are a few in there that you could probably call from that portfolio and put that money to better use. But you would start with the ones you're looking to sell. I think so. I mean, I think the ones that you the ones that you know you want to keep, you probably know you want to keep them for a reason and and Probability is that you at least know what that business does, how it makes money. There's a reason for your optimism. So, unless your optimism is misguided, unless you don't really understand that business, or you think you know you know it better than you actually do, um, in most cases, I think when you look at those kinds of businesses that are performing well, you already want to keep them for a reason. Yeah, I would do the same thing. They've shown that selling is a much more emotionally difficult process than buying. Yeah. So you certainly want to be a little bit more educated on that, so that you don't have that regret. Like, why in the heck did I sell it without an answer as yeah. to why the heck did I sell it? And then you've got tax implications for when you sell rather than when you're buying. So you also need to consider that. Um, so yeah, I would definitely focus on the companies and my reasons for selling versus my reasons for holding. Because hopefully you did the research to know why you're holding it. Um, but I would prefer to know why I shouldn't hold it any further. Yeah, you definitely want to consider. You want to be able to answer basic questions like, "Am I selling this at a gain, or am I selling yep. it at a loss?" And then track that and think of it in terms of how anything you're selling at a loss, you can apply against future gains uh, and minimize your taxes. And it may be worth just laying down some benchmarks or expectations. I mean, I'll use a good example from. For my personal uh, investing life here, I mean, we've talked a lot about Twitter, and Twitter's obviously been in the news a lot here lately. And it, it to date has just been a horrible investment. I mean, it's been one that we flat out gotten wrong. Uh, we own it million dollar portfolio. We actually just put it on hold in million dollar portfolio because there's there's some stuff that we really want to see. There's some questions we want to see answered before we consider hanging on to that position or or adding to it. And and I think really for us, for me, it's always kind of boiled down towards this. Investment in live streaming video and sort of this move towards live and video and and really the proof is going to be in these next two quarters, the third and the fourth quarters of this year, and so we're holding management accountable really to these next two quarters to say if we don't see any material traction from this strategy, then we really need to reassess our situation and say is this a business we really feel like holding on to? Now, personally, I mean, people have asked whether I'm selling it or not. I mean, I'm not going to sell it simply because number one, I don't need to. I don't need the money now. I don't need the money five years from now. And and I think there is, there is value in that platform. It, how how that value is exploited ultimately, we'll have to kind of wait and see. But again, I mean, that, that goes back to the point of if you don't need the money, then see if you can't lay down some benchmarks, some goals, some expectations that you that you want to look for, so that you can see that this investment is actually seeing some some light at the end of the tunnel. The last thing I'll say to Dan is, when you finally decide to sell, just go ahead and, and if you're doing it online, just click the button and sell. <laughs> yeah. Don't, don't, because I think we've all been in the position of, you're about to sell a stock, and it's it's up a little bit. And it's like, well, should I sell now? Maybe I'll wait till tomorrow. Three fifty nine, fifty nine. Yeah, you're like, oh, exactly. Just just sell it. Just click the button and sell. 
A couple things about Boston before we get out of here today. Uh, We had our event last week uh, for our Motley Fool One members up in Boston at the Park Plaza Hotel, which was uh, it was it was great. It was a great um, great event. I had a total déjà vu. No, not déjà vu. I was I was taken back in time because I walked into the ballroom where we were having the event. And I was immediately struck by the fact, oh, I've been here before. And it was nearly 30 years ago when I was in college. I was at a homecoming dance, (laughs) a homecoming formal dance with the young woman I was dating at the time. And uh, I remember thinking, oh, this event is going to go better than the homecoming dance. Because (laughs) uh, to make a long story short, uh, she got very, very drunk before Uh. the dance. We get to the dance. And after about 10 minutes, she's like, I don't feel good. And then uh, we ended up in the stairwell where she was throwing up into a garbage can. And then we left after that. Did you revisit the stairwell? I did. I did <laughs> you know what? I spent enough time in the stairwell nearly 30 years ago. I, don't, I didn't need to go back. Uh, saw a few of the listeners, Jason Newman, Joan, and Richard Morgan, uh, a bunch of other people, a few people coming up and introducing themselves as one of the dozens, which is always great. So thank you. And um, the other, the, 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 the business one of the business takeaways, not from the event, but from my flights, my flight up on Thursday and my flight back on Saturday, sitting on the airplane, and they come on and they make the announcement, and they make, and this is, I guess this is the first time I've been on a plane recently, they make the FAA-mandated announcement about the Samsung mm-hmm. Galaxy Note 7 phone. Well, they just halted production. Yeah, they halted, they halted production. production. They announced it during the debate last night. And, like, I, <laughs> and I thought to myself, this is, and I looked this up because I thought, how many people fly in the United States every day that are hearing this message? Quite a few. Quite a few. So, according <laughs> to stats I dug up, and these were a few years old, uh, 1.7 million people per day. Per day. Holy smokes. Flying domestically in the United States. And you figure Apple has about half that share. Right. All I could think was, and because we are in the political season now, this is like an attack ad on Samsung. That Apple and Google aren't paying for. Oh, that it's just just a reminder, if you have one of those phones, we need you to shut it off so it doesn't blow up. Truly could not have been a better time for Google to release a new line of phones. Yeah, the Absolutely. Yeah, like, totally. That was just impeccable timing. Yeah. And I mean, I think if you I think it benefits Google more than Apple because I think that there yes. are people who Love their iPhone, and then there are people who just for what you know they're like, I don't, I'm not interested in iPhone. I want an Android phone. Yeah, that's... And then you're looking at Samsung, except in this case, I want the one that doesn't blow up. <laughs> so now I'm going to go give the Google Pixel a, a run for its well, money. Well, sure. I mean, I think more people are married to the operating system than the device. Yeah. So for an Apple user, I mean, I'm not going to switch to a Google device just because I don't. I'm too lazy. I'm not. I don't want to deal with learning the new device. Right. But man, I mean, I, I imagine it'd be just very easy for someone to make the move from from uh, Samsung to to Google. Yeah. Not even missing a beat. Google Pixel. Our, <laughs> our phones don't blow up. I'll be getting that phone soon. Taylor Markman, Jason Moser, thanks for being here, guys. Thank you. As always, people on the program may have interest in the stocks they talk about, and The Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against, so don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear. That's going to do it for this edition of Market Foolery. The show is mixed by Dan Boyd. I'm Chris Hill. Thanks for listening. We'll see you tomorrow.